Amen. Take your Bibles this morning. Let's turn to Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. The great hymn, and I need thee every hour. You know, I think sometimes when we're young, uh, we need the Lord when we're going through tough times. And uh, it, mentally, we acknowledge that we need Him all the time. Um, but the older that we get, the more desperate for Him we become every moment. And, uh, you know, we truly, all of us, wherever we are, whatever stage of life, we need the Lord all the time. Uh, sometimes I think when it's the times that we think we need Him the least, that we probably need Him the most. Um, and so we tend to depend upon self as much as we can, kind of wired that way. Uh, but we're not made by God to do that. We're made to lean and trust upon Him. And so it's just a great reminder in song this morning. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to start here in verse number 9. The Apostle Paul has given his greeting. We'll probably go back and look at this a little bit closer, the greeting verses here in just a moment. But uh, as we get started this morning, we're going to start here at verse number 9. Paul is now beginning to pray for this church at Colossae. And for this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I want to speak this morning on the thought gaining spiritual understanding. Let's pray. Father, again, as we come to you, we acknowledge our need and dependence upon you. We need your presence. We need your power. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to open our hearts to your word. May you speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look here, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae, which is, uh, when you look at the churches throughout the New Testament, most of them have some sort of a problem, an issue, a thing that needs to be corrected. Some are very egregious. Some are very... Uh, a little bit more subtle. Uh, some are doing everything is going great uh, and you rejoice and praise the Lord in that. And the church in Colossae, doctrinally everything is sound. Everything is going the way that it should. They have the right beliefs. They have the right uh, doctrine. They're solid. They're not waffling. They're not wavering. But there are two primary problems that are a little bit more subtle within the church here that the Apostle Paul is attempting to reach out to and, uh, and to kind of deal with them. Uh, that makes this book very relevant to the church today because the issues that he's dealing with here at the church at Colossae are, play, have plagued the church at every step of our journey uh, since its founding by the Lord early uh, in his ministry. Uh, and so when we look at, at this church and, and look at where Paul would get the information, if we see in verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, uh, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. So he's identifying his position. He's identifying that Timothy is there with him. Uh, and, he, and he's not the only one there. To, and he's saying, who I'm speaking to, to the faithful members of the church at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And so they're a good, solid group of believers that he can express gratitude for their growth and for their sincere love for God. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have to all saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also 
uh, in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. And so he's commending them. They've accepted the gospel and it's continuing to change their life on a daily basis. And they're growing in the grace and the truth of God. As ye have learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister in Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. So Epaphras is believed to be imprisoned with Paul here. There are several letters that were delivered by the same messenger, about three or four of them, uh, from this imprisonment. Uh, and Epaphras is believed to have been incarcerated with Paul. At any account, Epaphras clearly has communicated to Paul the state of the church. And so uh, their church here has gone through a time where, uh, where in all likelihood their pastor has been locked up in Rome uh, with Paul. And he is in, and he has uh, kind of shared his hearts and things that are going on there. It's doing well. It's growing. The people are growing. They have a sincere love for the Lord. They have a hunger for the Word of God. Uh, they are not without problems, but yet they're they're hospitable. Uh, and at a time when hospitality was really extremely vitally important in the New Testament era, and it's no less important today. But at this point, you have a lot of Christians that had to flee. They had to leave everything behind. They needed someone to care for them and to, uh, to love on them. And, and truly the church at Colossae uh, exemplified that and did a good job of that. And so then with that background, we come into our text this morning. Uh, Epaphras has shared with them what's going on. And then he says, for this cause we also... Uh, but since the day that we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, there are two basic fundamental problems here. The doctrine is solid. It's not a doctrinal issue. It's a matter of practice. So you have two groups of people that are a little bit starting to emphasize wrong areas within the church. And one of them, uh, one of those areas is, uh, is, uh, is a group that they're really, they're really, uh, hard on uh, legality. They, they, they are very ascetic. They, they want to, you know, impose upon them things, things, uh, details that make them feel and look and appear more spiritual. In other words, they're equating things like uh, excessive fasting uh, or in very extreme cases, self-flagellation, uh, things of that nature that they would impose upon themselves in uh, a manner of suffering so that they would feel spiritual. Uh, and so there's this mindset of this is my checklist of godliness. And if I check all my boxes, I'm a godly Christian, whether or not I spend time communicating with God, walking with God, or loving God's people or not. Uh, that is something that uh, that mentality, maybe in most cases not in that extreme, are very alive and well in a lot of churches today. Uh, on the other side of the, of the equation, you have the, op the, the opposing ditch. Uh, you've got some people all over here in this ditch uh, that, uh, that say you've got to do all of these things or, or you're uh, a corrupt and an, an ungodly Christian. And then on the other side, uh, you've got the group that all their doctrines right, but they're, they're philosophy is leading them astray. They have, they were, they're adopting in an attempt to correct the zeal of this group and their zeal, they are philosophically going to the other extreme and they're ended up in the other ditch. Doctrine solid, but the practices are corrupt. And the problem with corrupt practices is eventually it's going to re, it's going to lead to corrupt doctrine. And so the Apostle Paul is just making the case and he says to them here in verse 9, for this cause, whatever Epaphras has shared with him, and the background information here is coming, commentators and Josephus and other historians, uh, things that we've learned throughout the ages about the, the, the churches. Uh, for this cause, we also, since the day that we heard it, <coughs> excuse me, do not cease to pray for you. Now notice this prayer. And to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. They need to know the will of God. What matters is not what my philosophy is. And what matters is not how, how you know, straight of a line I can walk. What matters is, am I in the will of God? 
Am I pursuing the will of God? Do I know and understand the will of God? And so he's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Listen, I, I have been overwhelmed really over the last probably couple of months. The number of conversations that I've had with people, uh, not necessarily from, from a lot of different places. Okay. Um, I had to take a trip earlier this week. I left on Monday morning. Uh, or we, we went and visited some family and some things in East Tennessee last week. We drove home on Friday. Uh, then I flew out on Monday. I was back home uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, but between Friday and, and Monday night, I was in eight different states. So I've talked to a lot of different people. I've seen a lot of different people. Most of that was just driving and traversing across the, that. Uh, but in conversations with a lot of people that I've interacted with in our area uh, in the months leading up, and this really is not anything new. It's just sometimes it just kind of settles in and, and you kind of become more aware of it. But people that have been in church for in some cases decades that have very little spiritual understanding. They, they'll ask really basic concept questions like uh, things that I'm like, you know, you've, you've taught or you've been under preaching for, you know, 40 years, 50 years in some cases, a little more. How could you, how could you ask? And I don't ever say that. I want the question to be asked. You can't learn, right? Uh, but the reality is, is if you've got somebody that you've, uh, that you know has been taught and preached the word of God thoroughly for 30, 40 years in some cases, and they come and ask really basic things like, well, whenever I get, uh, you know, somebody got sick and that's not fair. And how could God let that happen? Just really simplistic. Listen, we, we suffer. Listen, God, it's not God's fault that I've got a cold today. It's just a result of living on a sin-cursed earth. And it's something that we all have to endure because of that. I mean, that, to me, that's a, that's a pretty basic concept. That, that's something that I think that most uh, Christians that have a desire to learn, even early in their salvation and their walk with God, should come to understand that, that because the earth is cursed by sin, that we have to endure and bear a lot of these things. But you'd be surprised how godly people, people that love the Lord, people that are sincere, uh, find out that their loved one went home to heaven unexpectedly, or find out that that they've got a bad disease or find out that somebody betrayed them or that this happened or that happened or uh, that they're surprised by that and wonder and actually get upset and angry at God. How could you let this happen? God didn't make that happen. But God can grow you through it. Amen. You know, and, and we, we look and we understand. And Paul's argument here to them or his prayer for them is this, that you would have spiritual understanding. Sometimes we think that, hey, as, a, as a maturing older people, people that are well-educated in our country, uh, and we get through our education process, that, okay, we've got some understanding. There's a difference between understanding and spiritual understanding. And too many Christians live in the realm of trying to understand and interpret things that happen in their life with biblical knowledge, with, with carnal understanding. We want to crisscross instead of separate. That, listen, that it is natural in my carnal state of mind to wonder those things. But in a spiritual state of mind, I should be able to overcome my carnality. All of us are susceptible whenever things are hard to say, how could this happen to me? God, what's going on here? Don't you love me? But that's carnal. Now, we could all do that. But at what point does the spiritual switch flip on where I'm walking with God and have spiritual understanding and say, okay, God, this has happened. What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to use me? What are you trying to develop within me that, I can, that can be accomplished for your glory? And so in church in Colossae, again, you've got this group over here uh, that says that you've got to do this, that, and the other, or you're not godly. And then you've got this group over here that says, we got to forsake everything that we've always been, and we got to forget where we came from, and we got to become all things. It sounds like modern day America, not just in church, but in our culture at large. Uh, and we got to, we got to just, we're so busy trying to not be what we were, or where we came from, that we have no clue where we're going or who we are. 
And so you got these two extremes at work. Doctrine is still right. But if this side wins, the doctrine is going to go very corrupt. And if this side wins, truthfully, the doctrine may stay a little bit straighter, but the enactment or the enforcement of it, and by the way, it's not the church's role to enforce. It's not the pastor's role to enforce. I'm here to preach the truth. It's the Holy Spirit's business to enforce it in your life. Uh, and so beware of the church that uh, has a culture where uh, you need the pastor's permission to blow your nose uh, or you need uh, or, or you, you know, you've got people greeting you at the door uh, trying to police everything you do in every place that you go. Listen, just just love the Lord, walk with God, discern his will for your life and follow it. Listen to what's presented. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. And even if you're on a danger zone on this ditch or if you're on the danger zone in this ditch, if your heart is walking with God and you're seeking his will, he's going to bring you back to the middle of the road. And so that's what God wants to do in our lives. I, I, I could drive myself insane. I could lose the last three hairs that I have if I spent the rest of my life trying to make sure everybody uh, dotted every I and crossed every T. I, I'm, I'm too, getting too old, too cranky, and too tired to even try to do that. It's just it's not my job anyway. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And so when we look and we understand what Paul's trying to get across to them is he says, listen, I'm not ceasing to pray for you. I desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do we have the ability this morning to spiritually discern the events of our life? Do I have the ability to spiritually grab hold of what God's trying to show me uh, and to walk with him and to allow him uh, to develop me. Spiritual understanding is to know uh, what lies on the, uh, the what lie, let me put it this way. When I have spiritual understanding, no matter what I'm going through, I have the ability to understand that on the other side, at the end of the journey, on the other side of my problem, on the other side of the attack, on the other side of the disease, on the other side of whatever, makes it worth it. Yep, that's right. Because he's walking with me. And he's teaching and he's developing me. And he's drawing me to himself. <clears throat> so just several thoughts about this this morning. Number one, if I would gain spiritual understanding, if God would develop spiritual understanding in me, how is that going to come about? I would say, first of all, I must walk worthy of the Lord. I must walk worthy of the Lord. Now, truly, none of us will ever be worthy of him. Right. Nevertheless, we've been commanded to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. We'll look at that verse here in a moment. But walk worthy of the Lord. Verse number 10. Notice to Paul in his prayer that you, that, that you have... His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might work, walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and in the increasing in the knowledge of God. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1, uh, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, the Apostle Paul still writing, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So pastor, I'm not called to ministry. That's for, that verse is for you. No, we're all called to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You all you all have a ministry. You understand that my role as a pastor, Brother Trevon's role as an assistant pastor is not to do the work of the ministry. It is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Now we do the work of the ministry along your side as fellow believers in Christ. But our responsibility positionally within the church is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. A church that has a pastoral staff that carries that burden and does all that work is, is not a true New Testament church. It is a church filled with corruption. And it is a church that is failing to accomplish what God set out for it to do. We're not growing if we're not serving. We're not growing if we're not loving. We're not growing, fulfilling, glorifying God, being used of God if we're sitting on the sidelines watching those that are in the game. God wants everybody on the game. And there's no 53-man roster in God's work. There's, there's no inactive participants this week. Everybody 
has a spot. Everybody is in the starting lineup. There's not competition to see who can get on the field and who can and who has to sit and watch. God wants everyone involved. So, Pastor, what exactly is it? There's only so many Sunday school classes to teach. There's no, listen. That's not the point. The point is, who are you ministering to? Who are you reaching out to? Who are you praying for? Who are you developing? Who are you discipling? Who are you caring for? Who are you encouraging? Who are you helping come back that are straying? Who's on your heart? Who are you burdened for? Who are you praying for? Who are you willing to sacrifice for? And how does that look in your life this morning? If I were to go around the room this morning and start here with Pedro and go down to David and then Alec and and on down the line and say, uh, you know, who did you pray for this morning? Who did you help this week? Who did you sacrifice for this week? Who, who did you, who could you not sleep this week one night because you were concerned about them for, could you give me a name? Paul comes to him in Colossians and he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord, worthy of the vocation to wherewith you've been called. We've all been called as God's children to God's service. We wear the family name. Do we disgrace it or do we cause others to revere it? And so when we look and we consider the first point this morning is just simply this, that we walk worthy of the Lord. Why? Two thoughts here. Number one, I should live to please him. I should live to please him. This is really basic Christianity here. The number one priority of every Christian should be to please their Father in heaven. You know what Jesus said? I do always that, those things which please my Father. That sums up his whole ministry. Yeah, I know he sacrificed. I know he did miracles. I know he did this and he did that. And he went here and he went there. And he reached out to this person and he, uh, and he you know, he... Uh, he turned over the, the tables of these people and rebuked them. Uh, and he scolded the Pharisees and, and really put them in their place and shamed them, embarrassed them. Uh, and then others he uh, took from a place of shame and he lifted them up and he, uh, and he put them on their feet and gave them uh, a, a reason and a way to go on and to live. Uh, how do you reconcile all that, Pastor? What, why was it good in this circumstance for him to be shaming someone and bad in this circumstance that he needed to pick somebody up because he was doing those things which pleased his father and he walked according to the will of his father and he lived his life with spiritual understanding he was never overwhelmed and overcome by the flesh he never gave in to temptation I was driving back <clears throat> across West Texas on Tuesday and, and uh, I usually really enjoy the drive from um, you know, really, if you're coming all the way from the West Coast, once you get outside of Los Angeles, all the way to San Antonio, with just a few exceptions at some of the bigger cities here and there for about an hour, it is really a therapeutic driving. It is just relax, set your cruise control on about 85 and just enjoy the view. Okay, the speed limit's 80, all right? So I guess I should set your speed limit on, on 80. All right, but I'm a sinner. I usually set mine on 85. <laughs> And so I just go. And then and about the time you hit San Antonio, you just kind of know uh, no more cruise control until, you, until you're home. All right. Unless it's just a short distance here and there. But it's still usually not that bad. On Tuesday, I'm going to tell you that the drive from San Antonio to Houston was worse than the drive across Houston. For 200 plus miles, it was like rush hour Houston traffic right where 59, I-10, and 45 converge. That's what it was like. And so, uh, you know, it, it just made for a very exhausting last, what should have been three hours, five hours of driving. The point is, <clears throat> is that in that moment, there were a lot of times that it was really easy to want to say things that were pretty carnal. <laughs> You'd be surprised at how discourteous drivers can be. You can be surprised at how discourteous drivers can think you are. It's just tough. And my point is this. It, listen, it's a lot easier to just think carnally and to lash out in the flesh. No matter what you're facing. 
But it takes a moment to step back and say, Father, I'm doing this to please you. Am I pleasing you? Does my heart please you? Does my thought process please you? Do my actions please you? Does my prayer life please you? Does my Bible study privately please you? Do the, does the way that I worship you corporately when we come together as a church please you? Listen, be, be less concerned about how the person sitting across the auditorium is worshiping and how you're worshiping. You know, it's, it's one of those things to where, you know, sometimes you can look back and you can say, oh man, that person's not singing, what's wrong with them? Or that person's not doing this, what's wrong with them? And, and we're lost in the process and all of a sudden we're, our mind is gone and we're not worshiping God. You don't know what they went through this week. Maybe they have a cold. I tried to sing this morning, but I thought about halfway through, if I do, I'm not going to finish the message this morning in an audible voice. And I don't think y'all can read my mind, so I needed to save it a little bit. Walk worthy. Live to please Him. Then follow the example of godly Christians. How, how do I navigate uncertain waters? How do I cope with an abusive environment? And then how do I cope with a philosophy that wants me to forsake everything that I've ever believed? And practice. And the answer is this. Follow the example of godly Christians. Truly godly Christians. I remember whenever I was in college, sitting in a class and they were talking about in this class making hard decisions about directional issues and you know philosophical issues, these type of things. And, and, and here was the summary of what was taught me in that class. This might surprise some of you if you know where I went to school. Number one, what does the Bible say? Number two, have I prayed about it? What has God led me? Number three, if I still am undecided, if I've gone through all of my steps and processes of making a decision and discerning things biblically and spiritually, and I still cannot form, come to a conclusion, then the deciding factor was this. What are the godliest Christians that I know doing? What do they say? There's safety in putting some value and trust in godly people's counsel. It's, by the way, that's a biblical principle. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Furthermore then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. As we've walked, you walk. What we value, you value. What is a priority to godly Christians should remain a priority to up and coming Christians. Yeah. Rather than trying to take the advice of everyone in the world around me, I just want to lean on the word of God. And whenever I cannot make a discernment, what are the godliest Christians that I know say about this? Live to please him. Follow the example of godly Christians. Number one, learn by their example. But more importantly, I think, number two, learn by their spirit. A lot of people have a great position and a bad spirit. Godly Christians have a wonderful spirit about them. What's our spirit like? Does it draw people to Christ? Does it cause people to want to know him better? When I ran a boys home years ago, and uh, one of the things that we did, growth was slow. When I first became the director of that boys home, it had been in existence for 25 plus years and had never had more than about six or seven boys at a time in it. I think when I became the director, we had six or seven. <clears throat> By the time um, 
we most of the time after about a year or two, we had over 20. It's pretty much our capacity with the staff that we had. We built a new dormitory. We we made some provision to expand and, and but we we couldn't take every kid that wanted to come or that their parents needed them to come. And so there had to be a process. Well, one of the processes as to coordinating when a boy could come into that environment was what is the spiritual atmosphere like in that dormitory right now at this moment? If it was overwhelmed with new people, there, there was a delicate balance in that, in that facility. Okay, we didn't sleep in there with the guys. I relied exclusively on young men who had been with us for a number of, of months, if not a couple of years, to kind of police and maintain the right atmosphere and spirit and to let me know if there was some corrective action that needed to take place. And so I invested a lot of time in them. And I could never let too many new young guys come in all at the same time because they would throw everything out of balance and they would, if, if that crowd becomes the vocal majority, it silences the spiritual crowd and the carnality wins the day. Yeah. And so I always had to make sure that that balance stayed right. And so when a new guy came for the first 30 days that he was there, he, he had, we called him, he, I assigned him a shadow. He was, here's the guy that you're assigned to, you're his shadow for the next 30 days. You, you don't do anything without him. Everywhere that you go, he goes, you go. Everything that he does, you do. Every, uh, you know, uh, you get up when he gets up, you go to bed when he goes to bed, you eat when he eats, you go and, and play basketball when he plays basketball, you go and do this work whenever he does this work. Uh, you don't leave his sight for 30 days. Now why? It seems a little extreme. There were extreme, there were extreme problems that we were dealing with. And so I was trying to do two things. Number one, I wanted that young man to know what was acceptable and what wasn't. And he could not learn that by simply reading through a book of rules. I wanted somebody to teach him. I wanted someone that was godly and that had a walk with God and that loved the Lord and had a desire to grow to spend a lot of time with him so that perhaps it would catch and so that he would be led by the spirit of this young man to give his heart to Christ and to trust him as a savior. And so he learned by example and by spirit, not just anybody could take on that responsibility. If I had 20, 24 guys at one point, I might have had four at any one given time that I could trust to take on a new guy and to teach them. Sometimes it was only a couple. And whatever that cap was, was the cap of how many new guys could come within a 30-day window. If I didn't have somebody to teach them, to train them, to love them, it's really not that different although it's at a much more extreme level than what we're trying to incorporate and teach as a, as a philosophy as a church of discipleship. It's discipling and mentoring and being an example and teaching and, and training and loving uh, people so that they are drawn to Christ by our spirit. And that's what God's trying to get across here. And so Paul just says, listen, I'm praying for you. You're dealing with this issue. I'm I'm, this is what I'm praying for. I'm praying that you will walk worthy of the Lord. Am I worthy of the Lord this morning? Am I walking worthy of him? Number two, be fruitful. Notice again in verse number 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Is my life this morning fruitful? Am I doing what God has given me to do? Two thoughts about this this morning, and I want to look just at a verse quickly or two and in Hebrews chapter number 13. In Hebrews chapter number 13 and verses 20 and 21, uh, the Bible says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. 
And so essentially he's saying here, he's going to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. In other words, God is seeking to transform me for the purpose of doing his will. I can't transform myself. We kind of get it in our mind that I can turn over a new leaf. I can learn to do this. All of us can learn to comply. That's not the point. If we just simply comply with a, a culture within a church or a culture that we say this is Christian culture, then we truly are not walking with God. We are just playing a game. And God isn't interested in people playing games. God's interested in people walking with Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I want to transform you. I want you to be fruitful. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm walking someone down the aisle every week? And that if I don't do that, pastor, I'm not fruitful. Well, if you could do that, that's, if God uses you to do that, that would be awesome. But that's not the only way that fruit is born in our lives. Sometimes that fruit's born through our prayer life. Sometimes it's through an unseen act of kindness. Or, uh, but the, the point is, am I using my spiritual gifts? Am I exercising the gifts and the talents that God has given me to further the gospel? Am I investing in people? Am I loving people? Listen, uh, I appreciate Brother Matthew playing the viola every Sunday. Uh, he's got a talent. He has a gift that God's given him. And he's not buried it in the sand. He's using it for the glory of God. I appreciate Miss Joanna stepping up. Melanie before the service stepping up. Learning the piano and, uh, and, and praising the Lord that way. And, uh, and exercising gifts and talents that way. Uh, other people don't have any, uh, you know, I barely know what a musical note is. Let, or what looks like, let alone what it is. Uh, but I can do other things. And some people can't do that, uh, but they can sing. Some people uh, can, can't sing, but they can, they're wonderful greeters. Or, uh, or they can take someone that's in need some groceries. Or they can call someone that's in need and pray with them. Or they can go and visit someone that's shut in or do things of that. What I'm saying is this, that you have a gift that God has given you. You have abilities that God has given you. He expects you to use them for his glory, not to bury them in the sand. Don't waste your gifts and talents for God. Be fruitful. Whatever it is, at whatever level of development it is, be fruitful in it. Listen, and you say, Pastor, well, I can only do this a little bit. Well, do what you can do. And you'll be surprised that God will help you to build on that. How he'll help you to expand on that. How he can use it to impact and influence people's lives. Exercise your spiritual gifts. And in doing so, you're influencing lives with the gospel. Whose life this week was influenced for the gospel's sake by your life? What influence did you have in someone else's life this week? Was it godly? You know, that, that, that person, <coughs> that person that you <coughs> cussed out for going the wrong direction in the Walmart parking lot, you influenced them, but not for the gospel. That, that person, that cashier that you berated because their, their line wasn't moving fast enough, you influenced them, but not for the gospel. Now, I, I'm using extreme things because I'm trying to be extreme enough that I can believe that no one here would ever do such a thing. <laughs> that coworker that you submarined at work so that you could get ahead, All of these types of things that kind of creep in in our moments of carnality influence people, but not for the gospel. Who have I influenced for the gospel? What kindness have I shown? What level of compassion have I demonstrated? Be fruitful. Are you fruitful this morning? Am I walking worthy? Am I fruitful? Thirdly, this morning, I want to be increasing my knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. And again, in verse number 10, he tells us that in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 2 Peter uh, chapter number 3 uh, and verse number 18. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Am I growing? Am I increasing in my knowledge of God? Now, see, three, three aspects of this. 
quickly this morning. Number one, increase in knowledge by instruction. Increase in knowledge by instruction. If, I, if I'm never taught, I'm never going to learn. Be, be teachable. Allow someone to instruct you. There are a lot of people that sit here every Sunday that are not willing to allow me to instruct them. And just because I'm the chief instructor in this church at this moment doesn't mean that I know everything. But it does mean that God has called me to this place for this time and that God has given me in this place and this time the responsibility and the ability in spite of my inability to do what and to deliver the message that he's given me to deliver. Be teachable. Increase in knowledge by instruction and then increase knowledge by study. Just because you sat and heard a sermon today doesn't alleviate you from your responsibility to learn the word of God. You will never be complete if the only person that you ever learn from is yourself. And you'll never be complete if the only person that you ever learn from is a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. You need to learn from someone and you need to learn in your personal private time and study with God. And then increase knowledge by application. Increase knowledge by application. Now let me illustrate this just briefly and we'll move on this morning. <clears throat> when when you go to a well-organized place of instruction <coughs> that's got tried and true, for example, any branch of our military. When, when you go and you go to your basic training, three things happen almost on a daily basis for the entirety of that course. Number one, someone stands up and teaches you. Then you're expected to study what you're taught. Then they show you by their own demonstration, that's part of their instruction, and then they make you apply it. When I remember when we went through uh, field medical training, that was part of the course that was, you had to pass not just a written exam, but you had to pass a practical application exam. And so we would do that, that field, that, that type of training, we would sit and be instructed. <clears throat> the instructors would then demonstrate. Then we would study and then we would apply. So in part of the coursework, we would have to go and do it. So if it was CPR or if it was treating a sucking chest wound uh, or if it was uh, treating a broken bone or a severed limb, uh, whatever it might be in a combat, potentially in a combat situation, uh, that you were taught what to do, how to apply a tourniquet, how to do this, what, what, you, what steps and what order had to be done. And when it came to the written exam, you had to pass that. When it came to the practical application, they had multiple stations set up. They had all the instructors at each station and you just rotated around from one task to the next and you demonstrated that you could effectively perform under duress what was necessary to do that. That's the Christian life. I need to be instructed, I need to study, and I need to apply what I've learned. If, if, I, if I'm unwilling, if I'm unteachable, I'm dead in the water right where I'm at. I can never go anywhere for God. If I'm not willing to study on my own that which I've been taught and to study the Word of God on my own as well, then I'm not going to get very far. Because I can't live very well and I can't get strong and be healthy if I'm only eating one or two meals a week spiritually. I need to be fed daily. I don't know about you, but I like to eat more than once a day. Especially this week. I don't think I've stopped eating all week. And I got home Tuesday night, started eating, and I haven't stopped yet. I'm going to have to stop soon. I just don't want to. What I'm getting to is this, is that if I'm increasing, I must then study, but I also have to apply it. If I never use what I'm taught, it's wasted. And I'm not walking worthily. Number four, number four. He says that you'll be strengthened with all might. In verse 11. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. It's not me getting stronger. 
It's being strengthened by the power of God. Yeah, amen. Ephesians chapter number three and verse 16 just back a few pages says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man that comes from within that strength that comes from within the heart is the spirit of God empowers you to do what God has given you to do in chapter 6 of Ephesians in verse 10 he says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might strengthened with all might. May I say this morning that we are strengthened by adversity? God does not, God in no, in no wise does God desire for the adversity in your life to crush you. He desires for it to strengthen you. When we go through things and we walk with God and we serve him and we love for him and we lean on him, he strengthens us in that. And he uses us in that. I'm strengthened by his power, not my own. It's not suck it up and just keep going. It's lean and rely upon God and let God work and flow through you. And then thirdly, be strong enough to have joy in suffering. How do I know as a Christian when I'm kind of getting it? How do I know as a Christian just self-evaluating, okay, God, am I pleasing you? Am I walking worthy? Am I relying on you? Do I love you? Am I serving you? Or am I pleasing you when I can suffer and still have the joy of the Lord? It's amazing to be around Christians that are going through great suffering, but they're not bitter and they're not angry. They just have a sweet joy about them. They're in pain. Uh, my mom goes and visits a lady. She's, she's, her husband's been... Um, for a long, of many years, he was a vice president of Rock of Ages Prison Ministry, and, and she's been legally blind for many years. They had two sons, both of whom are now deceased. One of them was a missionary, was made a quadriplegic in a crash on his way to a prison after he had prayed that God would make him a living sacrifice. Uh, and for 10 years, he lived that way before God called him home. <clears throat> and they've just faithfully served the Lord. Their other son uh, went home to be with the Lord soon, or not long ago. And, uh, and you go to their house and you spend time with them and they just have the sweetest countenance. They have great joy in the midst of their... Listen, there's, you don't get over that. But God loves you through that. And I, I can go spend time... With, with and see the hookers and we didn't see them this trip and we we typically have not been that close to them over the years but uh, but my mom my stepdad have gone to church with them for several years and uh, my stepfather retired from that, that ministry a few years back and uh, and spent a lot of time working directly for him uh, and if there's anybody that ever exemplified what it was like to walk with Christ to go through adversity uh, and to just uh, love the Lord and rejoice in him to not give up, to not quit, to just keep serving God. It, it's, that, it's that couple. And he takes care of her. He waits on her hand. By the way, uh, at one point he was pastoring a church uh, and, and he loved the people and served the people. And, uh, and the people would give these wonderful testimonies about how God, great God was and how good this was. And, uh, and then one Sunday he walked in and they started standing up in the auditorium and shouting him down and accused him of things that wouldn't let him even answer and escorted him from the church property and told him he was no longer their pastor. You know what he does? He just loves the Lord. He just serves the Lord. I don't think I've ever heard the man say a negative word about anybody. If I'd been through half of what he'd been through, I think I'd have a hard time not complaining a lot. But he just loves the Lord. He's a mature Christian. He's a godly Christian. Above all else, he just wants to please the Lord. He can't control what other people have done to him and he can't control what events have come into their lives that have caused them uh, suffering and sorrow. But in the midst of it all, he's never lost his joy in serving Jesus. When we live and understand, he says, be strengthened in his might. Listen, you, you can't well up that kind of strength carnally. Right. Amen. That strength comes from God. Strengthened with all might. And then lastly this morning, giving thanks unto the Father. How do I know that I'm growing? How do I know that God's living, leading my life? How do I know that I'm gaining spiritual understanding when I can go through those types of things and I can still give thanks to my God? 
Notice what he says in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Remember the apostle Paul is in prison as he writes this. He's not writing this from a place of comfort. He's writing this from a wrongful imprisonment, giving thanks. In Ephesians chapter five and verse number 20, he says, giving thanks always for all things unto God in the Father's name of our Lord, in the, in, and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for all things. That means the bad things too. Because in the bad, God is working. In the bad, you're growing if you'll let him grow you. In the bad, he's being glorified. In the hard, he is spreading the gospel. Can I say this morning, first of all, that I'm thankful for my trials? We've all been through some trials. Can I honestly look and say, God, thank you for that trial? Thank you for that person that wronged me. Thank you for that thing that I try not to be bitter about. Thank you for that. Secondly, am I thankful for the strength that God's given to endure? God's given you the strength. Be grateful for that. And am I thankful for an internal inheritance? <laughs> Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I'm grateful this morning that God has forgiven my sin. I'm grateful that God goes through every trial and heartache with me. I'm grateful that God can intervene on my worst days and be glorified if I'll let him. Am I growing this morning in spiritual understanding? Am I gaining spiritual understanding? Am I allowing God to develop me? How do I do it? Again, it's walk worthy of the Lord. Are you walking worthy this morning? Can I look in my heart and say, God, by your grace, I'm walking worthy of the, of the position that you've given me in my Christian life? Am I fruitful? Can I truthfully say this morning that my life spiritually is bearing fruit to the glory of God? Am I increasing my knowledge of God? Have I learned something about God this week that I didn't know before? Have I learned something about one of his principles or how to use that principle that I was unaware of previously? Am I strengthened by his might or am I trying to do it in my own flesh? And am I grateful? As we conclude this Thanksgiving weekend this morning, may God truly help us to be thankful for everything that he brings into our lives. And if we would look and say, Pastor, you just don't know what I've been through. I may not. But I know the God that wants to go through it with you. And if you'll let him, he'll help you be thankful for even the bad things in life.